0: Let's mm-hmm. go. sick of it all there's not much i can say that hasn't already been said about sick of it all if you're a fan of hardcore punk or metal you're definitely a fan of sick of it all they've been around for 30 years and uh they've been banging it out every year year in year out on the road putting out records and doing all that stuff so um i give them nothing but respect and if you're a fan of uh, heavy music you should definitely give them respect as well sick of it all's 30th year anniversary is approaching next year and uh Lou talks about some possibilities of how they might celebrate that. So, uh, yeah, it was a really cool chat. It was an early Sunday morning, post-Halloween, and uh, we had a really good time. This episode is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee. If you're a fan of coffee, go over to savagegoldcoffee.com and pick up a uh, pound, a mug, a couple pounds, whatever you feel uh, fit to uh, check out. You can like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MikeHillHQ. And you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. If uh, you are subscribing to us on iTunes, please leave a review. It uh, doesn't have to be good. just uh, It helps us out in the rating and um, you know definitely just keeps things rolling forward. I'd like to also thank Datsusara a uh, longtime affiliate sponsor of the podcast Uh, if you're into um, martial arts training you can pick up a hemp uh, gear bag uh, with training shorts hemp geese t-shirts all that kind of stuff and also on it which i use regularly every day i use their products almost pretty much every day so you can go down to the uh the on it uh link on the everything went black media website and just go through the portal and pick up any of their products and we get a little kickback on that. And also if uh, you're tired of uh, limiting your snack options, you can check out Nature Box, which is also accessible through a portal on the Everything Went Black Media website. You guys just got back from tour was that a, that was a european tour
1: uh no actually it was uh southeast asia and australia oh wow damn okay yeah that was it was good it was fun you guys go to places that a lot of bands don't get a chance to travel to
0: that's pretty awesome
1: yeah i mean we've been lucky you know uh to have interest and it's like we i guess some bands don't go there because they want to be at a certain treated a certain way at a certain level. I mean, we've had offers to go to these places for years, but it was like, hey, come and sleep on our mud floor. And, you know, but uh, so we waited till we could be relatively comfortable, you know, especially at our age now, you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in somebody's uh, couch <laughs> anymore. Nah, totally.
0: Have you, Um, has this been the, this is not the first time you've been down there though, has it?
1: No, Southeast Asia, it's like our, second or third time to some of the countries it was our first time ever in the philippines which was amazing it was great we played manila and uh the crowd was just great you know it was a uh, more i think it was better that we waited than going back like in the uh the 90s we had offers again like that like to we could sleep on people's floors and stuff but at the at that period in our career we didn't just we just didn't have the time because we just started exploding in europe and in south america so we were going there constantly yeah
0: how um like what's how how is it playing in those those parts of the world because i've never even been there before so um. it's
1: kind of weird it's like you go to like tropical islands and it's you know uh I don't know. It's, it, to me, it's like more suited for like, uh, you know, dance music or whatever. But kids come out of the woodwork. You know, I'm not saying like it's huge crowds. I'd say to in my eyes, the biggest scene for not just hardcore, but uh, heavy music over there has got to be Indonesia. Really? Uh, Jakarta is amazing. And sadly, we couldn't play it on this tour because of some kind of national holiday. And there was a mix up with the promoter. But uh, we we had planned to go there. But it opened us up to get to go to the Philippines, which was great. But uh, I'd say uh, Indonesia is is probably the best. It it was great. The first time we went there, we played a a tennis stadium, and we drew like 2,000 people. Wow. And they're saying that we drew the same amount of people as Megadeth's first time there. Uh, but the biggest band at that time and i'm pretty sure they're still one of the biggest was napalm death sold the place out two nights in a row for, at like three thousand people each night
0: <laughs> you know uh, for some reason i'm not surprised that napalm death <laughs> is huge in
1: those parts of the world yeah it's it's strange you know yeah. uh, i even in, i think uh was it some political guy uh i forget what he was running for but he was always wearing Napalm Death shirts in, in his uh, political ads, and he won. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: feel like they connect with people because a lot of their music is, uh, you know, their lyrics are, you know, deal with political themes. and you know, Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and there, there's always some kind of strife going on in that part of the world, it seems like. Yeah,
1: that's for sure. And it was strange going there. It's like uh, like the first time we went to uh, Singapore, um, you a know, huge Muslim population, and to have people come to our shows uh, you know especially the girls with the head wraps and everything and one of the coolest things that we were ever told was that we met these four girls one of them was pregnant she was actually supposed to give birth that day but she said I'm so happy my baby didn't come because I got to see sick of it all <laughs> there was her and her three friends had a, a all-female Muslim hardcore band where all they did was cover sick of it all songs and somewhere in my storage space in, in New Jersey, I have a seven inch from them, so I have to find it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I have some friends from uh
0: you know from, from that part of the world. There's this band called Worm Rot, this grind band that I uh-huh. actually uh I drove them and tour managed them a few years ago and uh I had no idea, like no thoughts or anything about, you know, any any scene or anything happening in that part of the world. But they were explaining the same thing about the intense, you know, Islamic Um, Vibe there, and how playing any kind of like extreme music is
1: like a pretty heavy statement in that part of the world. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard the stories even in the Philippines, the stories of uh, uh, extreme religious extremists like grabbing kids with mohawks and shaving their mohawks off and telling them, you know, it's an insult to Islam or whatever. And it's not just them, but they, the Christians do it too. But they, uh, I don't think there is as extreme where they you know, grab people off the street and cut their hair. And it's not like an everyday occurrence. These are isolated incidents. But to, to read about this, I remember reading about a in Maximum Rock and Roll, and I was like, wow, to be punk in those. I mean, I thought it was bad being a, a growing up being a metalhead or a punk guy in Queens where the, the guidos would ride by and throw, you know, beer cans at you from their Transams. you know. Yeah. And these guys are getting grabbed and having their heads shaved, you know. Well, you know, it's funny because um, it
0: seems like these days, there's a lot of um, very, like, oversensitivity. You know, just, it seems like every move you make is getting scrutinized by somebody, and uh, you know, even things that are not necessarily offensive get called out by certain factions. You know, these social injustice warriors are always trying to find things about people. And then you think about countries like, you know, Jakarta or Indonesia, you know, out in Indonesia, and having to deal, you know, Malaysia, having to deal with this, like, really intense uh, crackdown on self-expression and it just kind of puts everything in perspective
1: over here, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like you said, people uh, here uh, get offended for the stupidest things, you know, things that they really should be like the whole thing with uh, everybody starts calling out, oh, these are offensive Halloween costumes. You know, you can't wear a Native American costume. And I can see it to a certain extent, but it's like it's Halloween. You're supposed to dress up as things you're not. You know, Yeah. it's like if all of a sudden people start protesting, I don't want to see you wearing a Roman costume because it insults my Italian ancestry, you know. Yeah, I know, right? That's the next step. or a viking. Don't be a viking cuz my
0: <laughs> that's just silly, you know. Well, I mean, a long time ago when the Sopranos were around, there I think there was some this this like Italian American outcry about how, you know, they're they're portrayed Italian Americans negatively. Yeah. And I was like, come on, dude, give me a break," <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, that, the, the bottom line is that's part of the, you know, part of the, you know, it's a it's a historical, like cultural thing, you know. Good or bad, it just, it's yeah. facts, you know? And exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this year is, like, kind of like a, a special year for you guys, because it marks the 30th anniversary of the band. Yeah, well, 2016, yeah, yeah. coming up. I'm oh, coming up, coming up, so yeah, preparation this is... for that, you know, we're, we're in the last death throes of 2015, so. Yeah. So you guys have any big plans for, to celebrate that?
1: Oh, it, it's, it's coming down to the wire, I, we have these ideas and we're trying to get stuff rolling, but, uh we're trying to really decide on what to do in new york we've we've we we had an we wanted to do like we did for the the 30th uh the 25th anniversary like one big show at webster hall and just have fun because that show people still come up to me and they go that wasn't just a show it was such a party vibe And it's like yeah that's what we wanted it to be and and i don't think we really did anything different except that you know we had like confetti cannons at the end like poison you know (laughs) but that was you know but i mean everybody still talks about that show to us that it was such a great idea but we've gotten offers from like even the tiniest clubs have been asking us hey for your thirty year anniversary would you could you do one night at our club so there's that on the table we're thinking of maybe doing like several different small clubs in new york you know throughout New York and New Jersey and then to make that special we were like well let's do like these two albums at this small club you know i mean we have a clubs that the maximum capacity is like 150 people and we're like you know that's going to sell out in no time, hopefully, you know. Like before the show is even announced, I mean, I, <laughs> people will find out about it and already, you know. Yeah, and but that's why we're saying if we're going to do that at different clubs, you would have to choose like certain songs each night or whatever, you know. I kind of like that idea, actually, man, because it's like you guys have such a back catalog of material. And, um, yeah, it would be a good. Ma- and that's the other thing is uh, we're still waiting for it to get done, but we're trying to make either through Facebook or just its own website where. People go and they could, they have to go through every album and pick their top three songs off of every record, because we want to make it that they have to go through every album, uh, and if they don't like the album, whatever they can. I don't. We haven't come up with that yet, but uh, because we don't want everybody punching like punching the first album and that's it. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely demo or. something. But it, it's strange though because I we always say that, and we I think those fans of from that era are the most vocal because we have people come up to us and and are mad at us because you don't play anything from yours truly anymore. And we just look at each other like, we thought everybody hated that record, you know? (laughs) But on the last few tours, uh, the last run through the U.S. with Negative Approach and the last couple of European tours, we've been getting a lot of people asking why we don't play stuff from that album or other songs from Scratch the Surface that we haven't touched. And it's funny because to us, we stopped playing songs like consumed and uh from uh what do you call from just look around we stopped playing like the shield because we thought they were just they made the set dull but the fans or people have been asking for those songs for i'd say the last five years in a row they've been begging us to play songs like that again so we'll see what happens so you guys are the basic concept now is that
0: you're just kind of Pull people and see what they want to hear, and to break it up the sets into different you know eras, or or based on what people want to want to. Yeah, to.
1: exactly. If we do one big show, it's probably going to be, you know, where we take the the top songs from each record and try to make like an hour plus set. Which to us it's weird. Uh, at our height in like the late '90s in Europe, when we were huge in Europe. We were playing for an hour and 20 minutes and then do like, you know, two more songs for an encore. And we were bored. Like by the end of the set, we felt bored, even though the crowd was really into it. So we started cutting back to playing. We play 50 minutes and then the encore makes it a solid hour and it's been working great for us. But if we're going to fit in as many songs as people want, we're going to have to go back to playing that. I'm going to have to start training to do that. our our mind, man. That's rough on Armand and, uh, You know, pounding those drums for an hour and a half is pretty rough. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely so. He he'll even tell you he doesn't have finesse. He doesn't. He goes, "I don't do finesse." He just beats the crap out of his drums. (laughs) I kind of yeah. Just
0: for what it's worth, I like the idea of you guys doing multiple shows because I I'd like to see you guys in a 200 capacity room, man. That'd be really cool. You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out. Who? What do we want to do? I mean, in some of the clubs. I've been to, we've never played there, you know, like, uh, I don't know if it's going to come through, but I'll throw it out like Arlene's Grocery has asked us and uh, somebody wants us to do Lucky 13 and then St. Vitus and Bowery, Bowery Electric, that would be cool if we could figure out what to play at each club that would draw, you know? Oh, yeah, well, St.
0: Vitus is, uh, you know, that's kind of like the sort of spot for
1: metal and hardcore these days, like a yeah. smaller level. I, I think that's why we got approached by all these other smaller clubs, because they're, like, they're like, look at St. Vitus is doing so well with these bigger acts playing, you know, uh, another show just in this small venue. Let's try to get somebody, and they, they called us right away, and, you know, like I said, originally we were thinking of just one big show, but now it's we're discussing about doing that you know then you can have different band support you know you can you can all the that the combinations of of bills that i think would be really cool exactly yeah i mean we have so many friends like you guys and and like uh uh you know mike scandado's got two different bands that we could throw on because they have different styles you know just stuff like that like to get to play with more heavier acts or more punk or whatever like we used to do you know we used to do tours where we would bring Snapcase and then like a, a a good riddance or whatever and just try to mix the bills up you know oh yeah actually uh so yeah some of the times
0: i've seen you over the years it hasn't even really it's been like 50 50 hardcore and like metal you know but like, yeah you know, yeah Towards simple tour um, I, you know napalm death like that was
1: like you know that doesn't really happen, it seems like, in the last few years. No, nah, we've been talking, like, for the last few years, Us and Napalm definitely uh, have talked about doing it again, but it just doesn't feel like uh, the fans would come out for it. I don't know if they would or wouldn't, but, you know, like, I think Napalm's choices of touring, you know, whether being a support or a headliner the last few years have been great, but it's all been, you know, in the same genre, yeah. you know? Yeah, it gets a little, for me as a fan, like, I, the last time I saw
0: Napalm, I think was on that Decibel tour a couple of years ago. And it was like Cannibal Corpse, Napalm Death, Immolation. Yeah. Uh, and it's like great bands, but, you know, an hour, and a half, two or three hours of brutal, you know, grind, death grinds is like <laughs> too much, you know what I mean? And then, but, you know, it's just nice to have a little variation, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's why the the festivals in Europe are so successful. Is, I mean, we just posted uh, the Hellfest uh, flyer, and, you know, I mean, of course, they have the huge headliners of Sabbath and uh, Rammstein and Corn or whoever. And then you have like, you know, the whole sections where they have the black metal uh, stage, they have the hardcore stage. But it's a good mix, you know, and uh, people have been freaking out. They're like, oh, my God, I can see Ghost and Sick of it All and uh, Overkill and whoever else is on the bill. I love it because we did it one year. And on the main stage was like fucking Twisted Sister and White and then on the on our stage, the second stage, it was us and uh, Agnostic Front and Negative Approach. You know, it was just That's awesome. Funny. Yeah, you know it's funny. Twisted
0: Sister, I feel like in certain like Twisted Sister still is a, has a, a very thriving fan base in the New York tri-state area. But if, yeah. if you go out west, no one fucking cares about them anymore.
1: It's it's Well, that's because they're a New York band. I mean, yeah. it's funny. I mean, they were never heavy. But when I was a teenager growing up, uh, even before they had a record deal, when they had their two self-produced 7 Inches out, they sold out the Palladium in New York City. And, and my friend's older brother got me and him tickets. And it was still, to this day, one of the best live shows I've ever seen. They just went in and they, you know, the band played great, but Dee Snyder was such a good front man. And he still is. I, I watched him at Hellfest uh, two years ago, and they were supposed to headline over Whitesnake, but David Coverdale threw a hissy fit and D-Snyder was like fine try to go on after us and they just smoked it they stole the whole show
0: yeah man i uh, I think that was early recordings were put out like on this thing called like rough tracks or something like that it's like a, uh, I yeah i a vinyl totally low budget production but it's like one of the coolest like things man and i remember, yeah. you know in the 80s finding that and you know i didn't see twisted sister until the 90s like i didn't catch them back then you know what i mean yeah yeah and, uh, but They always had like this super, like, even though they were trying to be marketed within that hair metal, like, world, they always had, like, a lot more, like, this kind of street, like, sound, I thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, even I remember going to see uh, Motorhead at uh, Lemores East when there was a L'Amour's East in Queens, and Lemmy would be like, You guys should all go out and buy Twisted Sisters album and make it number one. He goes, Better yet, make us number one and make them number two. But, you know, and he could have Lemmy endorse your band to us was just like, Wow. He doesn't care that they wear makeup he knows that they write great rock and roll you know yeah totally man yeah, let me ask you a question about health fest the uh, how many times have you guys played that God uh, I can't I, I'd say at least four or five probably five times maybe more now is it the same was was the concept I mean do you remember a long time
0: ago like back in the 90s there was a health fest that took place in Syracuse
1: yeah, we we played the one of the last ones they ever did when it was they moved it here to Jersey. Yeah. And then suddenly it's in is it did someone buy the name? Like, I, yeah. Here? I think I remember I can't remember what the Hellfest in France was called before they changed it to Hellfest because we used to play that. And then uh they bought the name Hellfest from these guys. I think. This is what I was told. I don't know for sure, but I was told yeah, they bought the name. And they get to use it, you know. Oh, it's funny, and and it blew up for them in Europe because I think Europeans are so, we've done it a lot. Like we were, we played the very first. There's another huge one in Germany called the the With Full Force Festival. Yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, that one's um one of my favorites to play because it's such a good mix of metal and hardcore and punk, and you know it's always has been. And we played the very first one they ever did. We played the first three in fact and then almost every other year we've been on the on that festival and but they were smart because i remember in the beginning it was just you know guys who ran the clubs in east germany and they got together and they said all right what are the biggest bands in our clubs and they got sick of it all mad ball and then they got uh like uh, who was on there behemoth i think was oh, wow. one of them and like, you know, they, and they got the best death metal bands and all that. And they just slammed us all together in a field. And it was amazing. And then I remember by the fourth year, all of a sudden they were like, scrape some money together, get Slayer and Typo And that's when it took it to a whole nother level. And from then on, it just got bigger. That's awesome. So, um,
0: okay, you guys, uh, you played that uh, Warriors Coney Island show.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was fun. What was that all about? It, it's weird. The guy who uh, this guy Eric—I can't remember his last name. He's got some weird, like Viking-sounding name. But uh, <laughs> Eric is a cool guy. He's friends. He's a fan of hardcore. He's like, uh, he's really into sick of it all and the crow mags and all that stuff. And uh, he uh, he became friends with my brother Pete, and he's producing some kind of Star Trek movie with John Savage. Oh no way and he asked pete to play a character in it like some kind of alien like warrior that's going to prison with john savage's character so pete said yeah and we all became friends and then he started doing this warriors reunion thing because it was one of his favorite movies and him being in the the uh, movie industry he had all these connections and he did a couple of them and then he did this one he kept asking us to play it and we were like what's the connection you know we're a band from like the mid to late 80s when we started, and the Warriors is from the 70s. He's like, it's just iconic New York stuff. And it just, it kind of came together. I mean, I met all the actors. They were cool as hell. They had no idea what the hell Sick of It All or Hardcore was, you know. But it was fun. It was a good time.
0: That one dude who was like, ah, uh, oh, damn, I can't remember his name. I'm surprised that he didn't know
1: about Sick of It All. The one guy who's like, Warriors, come out and play, like that guy. Oh, but the funny thing is, he's the Probably the only actor besides, uh, Osiris, uh, before he died, uh, who refused to do it unless he got paid, like, a ton of money. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. But, cool. yeah. Because that, that dude,
0: uh, seems like he would be, like, in the know about, like, you know, underground stuff. Yeah.
1: He's cool. I mean, I've never met him, but I've seen, uh, uh. The other people that have met him were telling me that oh he's really cool but that guy eric so I mean, oh, he's a pain in the ass he, he every time we do one of these things he wants more like double of what everyone else is getting and he wants to be treated like you know a king i think the other guy actors were just appreciative of it you know i mean even the i forget the girl what whatever her name was uh you know the one the the main character the girl in the yeah. movie she she's still acting and yeah. she she would come out whenever if she had time she'd fly out and do these reunions just for the fun of it, you know? So I thought that was really cool of her. Yeah, cuz the other guy that we're talking about, whose name the other guy whose name we can't remember, <laughs> he,
0: <laughs> he, he kind of like uh is like out in obscurity somewhere, like no one really he's not really doing much. You know, yeah. You would think I he'd mean want to, to
1: I fight. think that's what he, that's why he was demanding because you know, he's He's still recognizable. I mean, I know he did movies up until, probably still doing movies, but, uh, you know, he's got a very recognizable face, and he did the iconic scene. I think he actually came up with the whole idea of the bottles and saying, Warriors, come out and play. So, you know, <laughs> so, um,
0: but, you know I, I, I'm also a vocalist, you know what I mean? And uh, Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, someone recommended a while back that I check out these DVDs, uh, Zen and the Art of Screaming by Melissa Cross. Okay. Yeah. So um, you know, I checked it out. It definitely helped me out quite a bit. And then the second one featured a bunch of people and uh, you're one of the guys on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so uh how did that all like happen? Like, you know, did someone well,
1: recommend her to you or Well, I I forget exactly who told me about it, but I was thinking, you know, uh, I needed to do something with my vocals cuz I would go on tour and just blow my voice out, blow my voice out. And then somebody suggested her to me and I went to see her. And back when I went, it was considered cheap. It was like a hundred bucks an hour. And I went in and I spoke to her and she was really cool. And I sang for her the way I sing. And she goes like, you do what you do well. She goes, I really can't tell you how to sing, but I can try to help you build your strength and all that. And she, she's told me things that I, I've been to other vocal coaches. They never told me. She, She was like, yeah, you use more of your throat muscles than your diaphragm for the way you sing. So you got to build them up like any muscle, like exercise them every week, you know, and she helped me out a lot.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely helped me quite a bit, too. Yeah, uh, you know.
1: I've been thinking of going back to her just to get some refreshers and to help me. I mean, it's cool. I like the diversity of the people that she's done. I mean, it's all in heavy in the heavy genre. But I remember uh, I think it was Chaka from you know, burn and orange nine. I think he went to her. I'm not sure if it was, I, if I'm remembering it right, but I know a bunch of other people that went and you know, like the guy from lamb of God and yeah. all those, like just pre metalcore core bands. And I even some of those metal core bands now go to her and she just, you know, saving all their voices. She's like, I'm the, the guy from lamb of God. I, you know, I'm not a huge Lamb of God fan. He, he's a really cool guy. I've met him a bunch of times, but it's, the way he sings, his voice, I don't see how he does that all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I just met that guy for the first time this past summer over in in, uh, in Denmark, And uh, a really cool guy. Yeah. He's, he sounds like he brutalizes his voice. And, yeah. You, know, you talk to him when he's got a totally regular speaking voice afterwards.
1: It's funny when you talk to, you know, like Lamb of God's from that uh, Richmond area and all that, and they all grew up in the same punk scene. It's funny because I could sit there and talk to him about Avail and stuff like that, and I was like, wow, I thought you were just like some metalhead. He's like, you know, it was a small scene. You liked metal or punk, whatever. You went to all the shows. Yeah, actually, uh, he was in a band. And actually, I think most
0: of the guys in Lamb of God were in a band called Burn the Priest before that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and they were more like on that grind, you know, DIY, like tip, you know. And so, yeah, he's definitely. I talked to him briefly at, at that uh, Roskilde Festival out in uh, Denmark. And uh, yeah, he's he's a guy who knows about everything, man. He's like, yeah. into every type of underground music there is you know it's kind of shocked
1: me a little bit too yeah we had the, we had the it was really weird we just the full force festival this past summer uh we played it and it was the hottest weekend in germany in years and we had uh we were going on on sunday around i think we were going on in the late afternoon but we had the follow lamb of god who at that this time it was the biggest metal band in the world you know yeah So we felt like, oh great, it's a thousand degrees out. These people just killed themselves to Lamb of God. And it was funny because usually, like I said, we played that since the very first one. So we're looking out on the field and there's 20,000 people just sitting in the dirt. It looked like they're just sitting in a desert because it's been so hot all weekend and Lamb of God just destroyed it. And usually when our banner comes down, the crowd cheers, there was dead silence. Our intro went on and we were about to walk on stage. We're like, "Oh God, this is gonna suck!" And people start getting up out of the dirt like zombies, like really slow. But we were like, "Fuck it, we gotta fire them up!" And we went out, we fired them up, and by like the second song, the place was going nuts. And it was cool to look on the side and see the Lamb of God guys all standing there, like videotaping and taking pictures, singing along. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So that was good. Yeah, like, Northern Europeans don't do very well with heat, man. They don't get, <laughs> no. get very hot up there. You know? it was, and it, like I said, it was a, like a, just a, a weird coincidence that it, that weekend just happened to be, like, the fucking hottest weekend in years in Germany. Actually, we've we've, we've sorry, done sorry. one... Sorry. we. we uh, I remember in 97, we were touring the States with the Warp Tour, but we skipped two shows in California because we were going to play full force. This is July... We flew over to Germany, nothing but shorts and T-shirts. We landed; it was like 40 degrees and raining. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's July; it's freezing. there. It. Yeah,
0: that, that's kind of more what they're used to. But like even this last summer when we were in Denmark for that festival, we just flew in for that one thing, and uh, it was in the middle of a heat wave. So it's fucked up because their air conditioning systems aren't even designed to handle like oh no, real heat. You know, <laughs> so no matter where we went. I mean, to be honest, I, it, to, I mean, you know, we were in, we live in New York, so we're used to like humidity and, and hot yeah. weather, but, um, you couldn't get away from it, man. Cause they, everything, the air conditioner was on full blast, like in the, in the airport and it was still like super humid and just kind of swampy, <laughs> you know,
1: and it was just kind of fun. Yeah. I like that Ross Gilda festival. We, we played it three times and it's, it's always been good. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun, man.
0: Um, I mean, this, the day that we played, the Paul McCartney he was like the big headliner. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, we were there, in the, you know, hanging out. And the guy played for, like, three hours, man. I and mean, the dude's, like, in his 70s.
1: Do you know what's funny? Is, I, I don't know if it's true, but our old manager does all of his press, uh, and he works with Paul McCartney really close. And he told us that, you know, yeah, Paul McCartney plays for three hours and never drinks water on stage. I can't that's insane to me, man. And he just chews gum Weird. to keep his saliva going. And I'm like, that's that's gotta be bullshit, you know? <laughs> He's gotta like in between like hour one and two no, go over and take a drink of water or something. Yeah, I can't believe that, you know.
0: But yeah, he was I- playing for three hours, man, and then at the end of his set there was like this firework display
1: and it was pretty out of control. Uh, we we played there a bunch and it was funny, the first two times we played, it was us and prodigy on the same stage both times uh the first time i think the big headliner on main stage was aerosmith and the cure oh wow the second time we were there when they had that tragedy where a hole was headlining the main stage and she asked for all the girls to come on stage and people just surged forward and they were getting uh, i think five people got crushed to death at oh, the uh man. on the barricade or whatever and i think that happened at pearl jam there too or something Wow. But it was just brutal. That's pretty, uh, pretty well-run system they got there, too. Yeah, it was surprising, you know, stuff like that happened. Because
0: I was expecting total chaos when we got there because I was thinking about the logistics of, you know, getting from place to place, you know, the airport, and, like, you know, fucking getting our gear in the right spot. And, I don't know, the whole thing seemed like a, it was being set up for this disaster, you know. But yeah. <laughs> the reality is, like, we got off the plane. There was somebody waiting for us. They took us to where we had to go. The gear was in the, was fine. Everything was like run smooth, super smooth, man.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's great when that happens. You know, I mean, we always joke around because we've had incidents where uh, we land somewhere and they're like, yeah, this guy's gonna pick you up, and you're waiting there for like a two, three hours, and then finally the guy shows up and he's got like a Toyota to put all your gear in, and you're like, come <laughs> on, man, it's like a hatchback.
0: Yeah. So uh, last year, like. You guys played uh, Fun 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 Festival, and um, we were actually there. We were at the show, and uh, you mentioned something about not being able to play any new material at that time. Yeah. So
1: what happened? <laughs> what the uh, it's it's just it's weird. We played the Fun Fun Fest in 2010, and it, and the re- that's it's the reason they asked us back. It was like. Sword was headlining. We were on the second stage. We went on at like you know six o'clock in the in the evening, and our stage was like all old hardcore and punk bands except for us and Madball. And when we played, we drew a huge crowd. From the main stage came over to watch us, and everybody loved us. So they're like, "Oh, you got to come back!" And they asked us back, but they asked us back, and they said. We just want you to play songs from your first album and Scratch the Surface since it's the anniversary of those two records. And we were just looking at them like, why? We have a brand new record out. (laughs) And they were telling us because they did so well with like, oh, the Judge Reunion and Gorilla Biscuits. And they think that hardcore is all just about reunions. And that's what sells it to the fans. And we were like, but you're going to have people there anyway you know, just let us play our shit. We do play those we do play songs off you know, the those albums. It's not like we're gonna ignore them, you know. Yeah, I was weird about that, because I remember we
0: were we were like, you know, out there in the crowd and uh and I was like, Man, that's a kind of a weird stipulation to
1: place on a because mostly people want to hear new shit, you know. But that you know what? <laughs> I really can't blame Fun Fun Fest. It's it's uh like there's people who love hardcore and they still go to all the shows but then there's the the ones who don't go to shows anymore who only come out and that's what makes those reunion shows so big i mean look at judge man they came back after all these years and kids who didn't get to see him and all that people went berserk and burn the same thing i i thought it was weird having burn headline the last uh, black and blue bowl until they would hit the stage and the whole place went ape shit and i was like Burn never drew this many people when they were together, like combined their whole career. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, a pretty relatively short-lived band, too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they only played like a, a very, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know how many shows, but it wasn't like, you know, they were out there playing like hundreds of shows. You know? Yeah.
1: I mean, now they just did a a small U.S. tour. They're putting out a new record. It's like, that's just weird, man yeah I don't know how I feel about a lot of that stuff I? But I, I think I a lot of these bands learn when they reunite that it's not all gravy you know once they do a couple of reunion shows people are paying you know top dollar to see them and they're packing places out and then they come back around again and it's, eh, it's not as good as the last one And then they put out new material, and if it's not what the fans want, or even some of the fans don't even give a damn about the new material, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at Refuse. They they were such a hot band for people to try to get to reunite. When they did, they sold out places like crazy. They did like three, four tours off of that. Then they came back again with a new album. The album tanked. Nobody cared. And now they're like, you know, playing smaller and smaller venues. Well, it,
0: that kind of proves the point that I like to bring up about just consistency, you know, and that's like, you know, when when I think, I mean, when I think sick of it all, like, and it's not just because, you know, you're my friend, it's like, <laughs> I I always thought of you guys as like a consistent band, like consistent lineup, you know, um, you guys were always there, even when hardcore wasn't
1: like big, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot, it, through the the highs and lows of hardcore, and it, it's kind of on a, it's weird. If you talk to hardcore people who are involved, in it, they're all like, hardcore is not low. It's not a low point. It's fucking thriving. He goes, but the mainstream outside interest is what makes it us able to make a living at it, yeah. you know? And we're not saying that we have to be on the cover of, you know, I don't even know if there's whatever spin or whatever magazine is around. I don't even know what magazines are around anymore. I don't think anymore. magazines exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like you have to keep those people interested and luckily we we can do that in certain areas you know but I mean our last U.S. tour with Negative Approach it was fun but there were some dismal nights like Wednesday night in Oklahoma was like I wanted to shoot myself you know yeah that's really <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that you know yeah you're, you're busting your ass you're driving around you know uh, you know you're driving hundreds of miles and, and yeah it's fun but when you get to a club and it's like the, the, the guy at the club is like, yeah, I don't know how it's going to do tonight. You're like, really? 30 years of playing in a band and you turn, you walk up and you go, I don't know how it's going to do tonight. I mean, we just had probably uh, our worst tour ever in Australia, which kind of sucked because we were uh, Australia has always been great for us. And then this year, the number was like in certain cities was half of what we usually do. Like, Perth, Australia, we, we, we never were huge in Perth, but we always had a good-sized crowd. This time it was dismal, but there were a lot of factors. Like, they didn't really promote the tour, yeah. and the same booking agent who booked us a month later, he booked the Gorilla Biscuits tour there a week before our tour. And in Perth, they actually did their last show in Perth two days before our first show of the tour. And we were like, why didn't you just combine the shows? And, you know... So there's always bad factors in it, you know, and and, uh, that's why you got to take the good with the bad. But sometimes it's really trying, like, you know, when you tour the Midwest, it's pretty rough, man. There's really only one city to play in
0: the (laughs) Midwest these days, and that's Chicago, you know? Yeah. You know, and then even that's kind of like hit
1: or miss sometimes. Exactly. Chicago used to be amazing for us all the way till like the mid-2000s, I'd say, and all of a sudden it just dropped off. Now, we don't play the big venues anymore, but when we play the smaller rooms, we pack them out, which is great. But uh, same thing, if it's not on a Friday or a Saturday, uh, we played the last time we played Chicago was on a Sunday, and we did good, but not as good as you know the time right before that, which was a Friday, you know? It's just weird, man. They also have the promoter...
0: Like wars, like some promoters don't work with certain venues and people and all this other stuff. Because, like, we had a similar thing in Glasgow. Um, we were on tour in the spring this past spring with Black Anvil over in Europe, and um, there was like one night in I mean, Glasgow is a great, beautiful city, but it's not a very yeah. big city, there's not a lot of people there, you know what I'm saying? It's not like playing like you know, New York or you know, Philly or something like that. The same night, literally around the corner from each other, there was us and Black Anvil, and then Goat Whore and Skeleton Witch. <laughs> like, literally around the corner from each other, and neither show was completely packed out. There was, like, maybe 60 or 70 people on each show. Yeah. It would have made perfect sense to just put them together, but no one. there was no thought put into that.
1: Yeah, we had a similar thing happen to us. We were doing a, a what the hell is it called? The Persistence Tour one year. And when it was going to England, we usually, we have a separate booking agent in England than for the rest of Europe. And we asked our booking agent uh, who put the persistence to her on to contact our agent in England because she has, you know, great connections. She knows she always books you in the right venue. She tells us when it's like, okay, this year we should scale down. And then next year she puts us in a venue twice the size and it'll sell out. She knows what she's doing. But because of stubbornness, Uh, And egos, I guess, they didn't want to work with her. And she was she she contacted them saying, well, I'm booking municipal waste that same night. Uh, Why don't we combine the shows? Just put municipal waste right on before sick of it all. And, you know, and they they were like, nope, we're not going to do it. So we ended up playing a bigger venue, which was three quarters full, which is great. But almost the exact number of people we needed were at the Municipal Way show down the street. Like, another five or 600 people were at that show. So we could have just combined the shows and had a huge sellout. But it was egos and feelings that were hurt, I guess. Yeah, you
0: know, and it's, like, ultimately, <coughs> the people that suffer are, like, the bands who are trying to, you know,
1: just bang it out and make it make it buy, you know? And, exactly, yeah. You know. I mean, and that's like that's, like, we try to do shows with... Uh, for years now, we've been trying to do it with younger hardcore bands, and it's a real double-edged sword because you want to bring those younger kids in to see you, but getting them to stay is impossible. Hardcore is very generational, and I don't see this in metal because, you know, I grew up, the first thing I loved was metal, and I still love a lot of the bands I did, and I always check out new bands that people suggest to me. And I'm still loyal to I still love Iron Maiden, you know? Yeah. I still love Motorhead. I still love Slayer. I buy all their new records that come out. But hardcore, it's like, oh, you guys are over 30? Well, there's a band that sounds just like you that's in their 20s. I'm going to fucking go see them. And we've had tours where we take these bands, everybody, this is the hot young band. You got to bring them out. They're going to help draw kids and if their fans come out to see them they leave right after they play. Yeah, I never understood that either. And a lot of the times their fans will be like, "Well, I don't want to pay that much to see them open to play a half an hour before Sick of It All, so I'm just going to stay home." And then our fans don't give a shit about these young bands. We took uh trash talk out. Right. Who were like, "I love them and they have an old school sound, but it's kind of, you know, kind of like a mix with it, to me, they were like DRI meets sheer terror Because they had the fast parts And then really heavy, doomy sound And we thought This is going to be great We played LA, their hometown When they went on There was freaking 30 people in the club And I thought, oh my god Nobody likes us in LA Then to an hour later When we go on This freaking club is packed So our fans didn't care to see them Their fans didn't want to pay to see them open for us It, it just sucked
0: yeah that's that's definitely one of the biggest like sort of um ironies of hardcore <laughs> is the fact that like you know punk and hardcore was supposed to be about you know sort of open-mindedness exactly and, you know, freedom and creativity but like it's completely more regimented than you know any social you know clique that exists you know that's <laughs> it, one of the, yeah the, the bummers <laughs> you know what i mean
1: And it's funny because people don't realize that it's because of those diverse builds back in the day that you got a band like Sheer Terror, who was, you know, so influenced by Celtic Frost and and Sabbath, but they were playing hardcore matinees and putting Black Flag riffs in there, you know? Yeah. No, totally.
0: (laughs) So one of of the reasons that you and I even know each other is because of uh, our mutual friend, Mike Scandato. Oh yeah! See, he should be. He know every actor and yeah. musician's name. <laughs> well, we we uh, Mike and I do another podcast that's uh, centered around hard uh, not hardcore. Sorry, uh, horror movies and like comics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, but uh, what I was trying to say is like, they used to be uh, part owner of uh, a comic book shop, uh, Brooklyn Monster Factory, which yeah, really closed. So um, so what have you been you been keeping up on what's going on with Marvel, man? Like what's going on? Like I can't read
1: any of that shit anymore. <laughs> Dude, it's I'm up. so confused and I'm really mad because I love the Marvel characters, but they're changing so many. First of all, I hate why is Captain America old all of a sudden? Yeah. I didn't get that. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, I, their their whole thing they did this summer their summer event what was it called secret wars yeah it's very frustrating to me there was some really good books in there like peter david's uh redid the future imperfect or not redid but told another story of future imperfect one of my favorite uh hulk stories that he ever wrote and his was great the dialogue the the characters everything was really good but then there were other ones that i'm just reading it and i'm like what is the point of this you know like they had this one Planet Hulk where it really wasn't about the Hulk it was about a Captain America character on the Planet Hulk planet and I'm just I just didn't get it you know yeah. and the most the most frustrating thing is is now they launched all these new titles but the Secret Wars storyline hasn't ended yet and I don't see how this is going to all tie in they're not explaining like, you know, like they have this new kid who's the Hulk, but nobody's ex- it hasn't been explained yet because Secret Wars hasn't ended, and it probably won't end until like next spring or something. My my biggest beef is that when when you mess around with like
0: the the old school characters, you know, and who have like such a legacy, you know, they have such a history with like you know Captain America, Iron Man, Spider Man, the Hulk, yeah, before. You know, I, my my thing is like, and I've, t- I've said this before to different people is like, man, why don't they just develop new characters and just kind of work them into the the universe?
1: Exactly, that's what I've been thinking. You know, I say that all the time too. It's like they have the female Thor. It's kind of a cool storyline or whatever, but they, why don't they just come? with They they came up with an what's her name, Angela or Angelina, whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah, that's a great character. You don't need a female Thor, but I think they're trying to branch out and get new readers, and, and, but, like, I like their new, that one they call Ms. Marvel now, like that, that young girl, okay. those stories have been pretty good. I'll check that out. And that's an idea, it's kind of like, you know, okay, they took an existing name, but she has her own powers, she has her own identity, and the reason she chose the Ms. Marvel uh, moniker is really good, you know, but that's a good original character there's no reason to make you know okay here's a female thor you know yeah it's too gimmicky or something you know yeah Yeah, because i mean they did they
0: have successfully added characters you know what i mean in the past and um it just seems like rather than trying to like develop you know and they're they're copping out by like just changing up the, the old characters you know
1: yeah, I mean, they were all accused of that when they were, like, trying not to lose the rights, Where that's where they came up, like, the She-Hulk back in the late 70s, and they started making female characters of all their male characters just to keep the rights to them, you know? Yeah, but, you know, but it still worked out, though, really. Yeah, some of them, like, you know, they had Spider-Woman and all that that came up, you know. That's another thing. How many Spider-Women are there? There's all these different versions. You know, there's one with the black suit, there's the one with the red suit, there's... Yeah. Yeah. The other thing, too,
0: is, like, a lot of a lot of the better writers are gone, you know? Like, yeah. You know, like, Garth Ennis isn't working with Marvel anymore, you know, Ed Brubaker, like, all those guys that wrote... I mean, en- Ennis' Punisher was, like, probably, historically, in my opinion, my favorite version of the character, you know? And that's oh, yeah, old, yeah. He was just gone. Yeah. You know, Brubaker, his writing of Captain America, and all the other titles he wrote was, like...
1: Was that's wrong. true. And, uh, I mean, I was... It's funny, when I was a little kid, when I first, my father would buy us comics, me and my brothers, and he would always just buy you know, Superman, Flash, whatever, because that's, you know, back then, that's what he knew. Marvel was still new at that time. And when I got older, I really got into Marvel. But uh, now I'm going back. The only DC book I really read is Justice League. I know everybody yells at me because I don't read Batman, but Batman to me is like the way people talk about that band Ghost. It might be really good, but you people are blowing so much smoke up their ass, I don't even want to listen to that shit. <laughs> I, I got to be honest with you about
0: Ghost, man. I, I don't feel it, you know what I mean? And it's like, I... <laughs> I, mean, I wanted to like it, you know?
1: We we played festivals with them. I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's like, yeah, spooky metal. And I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of like, you know, a little merciful fetish, you know, like the music or whatever. And then, but everybody's telling me like they're the be all end all of metal again. And I'm like... I don't see it. I'm not saying they're bad, but they're just not, you know, a new thing to me. I don't see it as something exciting and new. And then the first single off their latest record, the main riff was South of Heaven, slowed down. And I'm sitting there screaming it at my friend. And he's like, but it's such a good song. And I'm like, if I stole Victim in Pain and slowed it down, you would give me shit for it forever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday. Who she She was like, oh, I had no interest in Ghost or whatever, but I went to the show but I got all caught up in there. Yeah, the gimmick is cheesy and all that, but and then she's telling me how she spent 50 bucks on a shirt, $30 on a set of rosary beads from Ghost. And I'm like, what would you do if sick of it all tried to sell their t-shirts for 30 bucks? She goes, I'd laugh at you guys and, and yell at you. And I'm like, there's your difference between metal and hardcore right there. Yeah, totally, man. She'll turn around and spend 50 bucks on a metal shirt But hardcore, you're not allowed to charge that much for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, to me, it's like, you know, like I was saying, everybody tells me that I should be reading Batman and I really want to, but like an idiot, I, you know, I go online and read all the message boards and get on Facebook and on different comic books, Facebook's pages and how everybody's like, Batman's the be all end all. He can do everything. He could beat anybody. It's like, Oh, come on, man. Well, you know what it is,
0: man. It's like I feel like they've gotten lazy with Batman, though, because so many people are, um, you know, on that, you know, vibe, you know, especially with those great Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Like I feel like it's gotten a little bit lazy, like on on the in the comics itself, you know. And um, yeah, they just—I mean, I love Batman. He's like one of my favorite characters, probably my favorite character. But the current, you know, storylines and whatever that's going on in the comics are not really, you know keeping my interest you know what I'm saying
1: I, I did read uh, the, what was that one The Son of Batman or whatever I loved yeah. that that was really good yeah I like that well back to but, Ghost man <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, the Black Anvil
0: guys love that band and um, you know I go over to Rafe's place on Saturdays we watch the fights and you know and when that new record came out like we listened to it like three times like back to back and uh, it wasn't I, I just couldn't get down with it man and there's the one song There's a song on the second side that sounds like a song, like a Rollins Band song, off of End of Silence. Like, it has, like, this, like, heavy bass, like, you know, like, Rollins Band, like, early 90s vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. And when I was like, yeah, this sounds like a Rollins Band song, everyone, like, bummed out on me, because it was like, that's not what it's (laughs) supposed to sound like. I'm like, well, you know. But yeah, I um, I wanted to like him, but I just couldn't, you know,
1: maybe I need to see him live. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw, like I said, I saw him live. We played a couple of festivals and I thought, hey, that's great. I like the gimmick. The face paint looks good. But I'm, but then again, I'm not a 15-year-old kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I still have that mentality, like when it comes to movies and comic books, but I don't know, I guess in, maybe in, in my music too, you know? Because like I went from being a metal guy, when I went to my first hardcore show, it was like the energy just grabbed me you know i still love metal i still go to metal shows but uh i i love hardcore just because uh when i listen to a record it's got to make me excited i have to be in a real certain mood to put on a heavy album that doesn't you know that i could just drive and like yeah i'm just gonna nod my head to this you know i'd rather just be like all angsty and listening to it so some of those like old bands that like first hardcore bands you checked out. What what were some of those bands? Oh God, we used to see them all. I mean, my very first matinee was uh, C.O.C. Corrosion Conformity) when they still had their uh, vocalist, uh, the yeah, I, I, for, I for an one. Eye yeah. era. And uh, uh, who was it? I want. I think that was one of Leeway's first matinees because they were the opening band on that bill. It was Leeway and then two other bands and C.O.C and I and i had gotten a flyer at that show the next weekend was agnostic front and they i think they were just coming home from their u.s tour victim in pain and that's the one that sold me going to every matinee because i walked in there me pete and armand we had long ass hair i had a, a denim vest that i had painted motorhead and venom on the back and everybody accepted us and the AF were fucking untouchable man they were the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life I was just blown away you know and once again that's that uh, sort of you know
0: like freedom of expression trip you know that we were talking about that seems
1: lacking yeah. these days you know yeah I mean I, I saw some bands that I didn't even you know you never realize are gonna be I guess, iconic, you know, back then. Like, I saw The Descendants. So I was like, ah, it's good poppy punk, whatever. But I'm into, you know, the the angry stuff, because I'm an angry guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, um, hey, man,
0: another another real comic-related thing was, uh, what do you think of this new Preacher uh, flyer,
1: you know, this this whole idea of doing the Preacher? Oh, I haven't seen the trailer yet, but uh, I'm really excited. I hope they don't mess it up. I, I, it makes me want to go back and start reading the book again.
0: Yeah, man, it's like, for, what, it seems like 20 years, people have been talking about making that into a movie.
1: Or yeah, I remember, like, didn't HBO talk about it decades ago, and uh, Ben Affleck wanted to do it a long time ago? Yeah, it's just, um, it's part of me is, like, excited about it, and then part of me is like, man, does anyone even remember the series? Like, you know, yeah, well, maybe they're banking on that. Maybe they're going to try to veer off the books, you know? Yeah, like they did with Walking Dead. Yeah. So that's another series that I liked, but then it just got too slow for me. And I I checked out like two seasons ago, and my brother still watches it. And he's all like, you got to call, you know, get back into it. The last few, and even Mike, Mike Scudato, was uh, texting me the other day, Have you seen the last two episodes? You got to see it. They're so good. And I'm just like, ah.
0: You know what I'm I'm all hyped up on is that uh, Fear the Walking Dead, the sort of spinoff series. Oh, I haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, man. Actually, that one, I think, is like, what's cool about it is it takes place in the first few months when the outbreak happens. So yeah, see, I like to see that. I yeah. gotta check it out. Like, I, I always think that's really interesting, like, when you're kind of like, you know, people are in denial, they think it's, oh, well, this is going to get figured out, and then it just everything just turns turns to hell man
1: and um, oh i definitely got to see it yes yeah, did, did you see that uh, ash ash versus oh, evil man, dead that was this weekend right yeah i i have it dvr and so i haven't
0: watched it yet yeah i got to check that out man it's like um it's on stars right yeah
1: yeah i got to i got to see if i can somehow get that cuz i don't have stars Yeah. well it's probably going to be like on one of those sites like Hulu or whatever—I don't know who Star is connected to, but yeah, Amazon streaming or something. Yeah, but I, I gotta look into that for sure. I remember the very first Evil Dead. Uh, we went to a, a late night double feature, and it was Mad Max and Evil Dead. And we all went to—we had heard about Mad Max. So my older brother saw Mad Max. He was like, oh, you gotta go see this! So we all went to see Mad Max, and then we hung out and we saw Evil Dead. And we were just like, oh my god, this movie's insane. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: That was um, I, th- I saw that on like VHS, like when I was a kid, and and I remember my friend, this kid that I you know, used to hang around with. It was the middle of the day, right? We watched this movie in the living room at parents' house, like at like two
1: o'clock in the afternoon, and he was afraid to walk home alone. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, dude, not for, no, I mean, now people laugh at it. It's it's like The Exorcist. It, it must be a generational thing because my wife thinks The Exorcist is funny. She thinks it's so ridiculous, like the stuff that Raven says when she's possessed. Me, it scares the crap out of me, oh, that yeah. movie, because I was raised Catholic. And when she did all that stuff with the cross and then they showed the statue of the Virgin Mary with the, you know, the tits and the dick or whatever. And yeah. I was just like, oh, my God. But, like, Evil Dead, it's like, people look at it now, it's funny and campy, but that whole scene where she, after she gets uh, raped by the trees in the forest, and then they start doing the card game, that scared the crap out of me in the theater. I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a
0: classic movie, you know? I mean, that's still my favorite one out of out of the three that, that were made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um I mean Evil Dead 2 is cool but it's kind of the same the same storyline with like a little bit more of the like, comedic elements to it.
1: Yeah, I was kind of to this day Army of Darkness, I like it. I don't love it like the first two. It didn't scare me at all. It was all just goofy jokes. But now I appreciate it more. But when it first came out, I was like, "Man, it's not scary. It's just goofy, you know?" Yeah, no, I agree. With but you. I I think that's what the TV show is going to be more like, but, you know, I still I enjoy it, but I, I really loved the first one. Yeah, I, got, I definitely got to see it. I
0: also like the, the effects in the first one, man. All those, like, that, just the, the fucking effects, like the, the gore effects. Oh, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, like, a little bit low rent, but they look awesome, though, you know? Yeah, it was good. What do you think of the remake? You know what, man? The remake, um, I, I got to say I liked it uh but it just did, it didn't have the same spirit as like the uh the original you know yeah definitely trying to be like an extreme you know horror film whatever <laughs> and um yeah I mean i appreciate it but it when i want to watch that storyline i watch the original you know what i mean yeah. you know, i find yeah. myself revisiting the, the remake really you know it was yeah, too that's ser- true. Too serious too you know it was too um you know i'm i'm not, I'm not really a big fan of comedy horror but the Evil Dead has a certain level of humor to it, and that remake was like there was no humor at all. And you kind of like were colored by the fact that you watched the original, and there was like a little bit of humor to it. And it's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was like uh, it was like a weird. I like maybe eighty percent
1: on that one. You know what I mean? I, I don't understand like the horror remakes. I mean, like Freddy Krueger. It's a great movie. They didn't need to remake Nightmare on Elm Street. You know. But I guess, again, they try to do it for new generations, which I was like, why? If kids want to see a horror movie, you know, they'll see the original. But we had a a girl who worked for us uh, doing merch, and she would tell us that her boyfriend refuses to watch any movies made before the 90s. He says, and even getting him to watch movies made in the 90s is tough because he's like I hate it they just look old and he doesn't watch black and white movies I'm like what a weird guy and that guy's like really missing out on a lot of good stuff. And, yeah there's so much good cinema like any genre
0: you know well I mean if he's not <coughs> going anything before the 90s then he's missing out on like you know on like you know Taxi Driver or like Cruising, like all these great ta- films, exactly yeah you know and those movies I still I think are like pretty much untouchable you know yeah no one's doing anything true. remotely as good as either one of those movies yeah, but yeah, the remakes of the horror the horror genre remakes the only the only remake that I really back is the uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake that came out of like you know oh yeah you know and, and even when that started when that was released I was like man I don't know this is like a classic film that didn't really need to be remade and almost like under protest I wanted to go see that in a theater and um, I was like glad I went because I'm like
1: man this is like a whole new experience. You know, yeah, you know. the, come on, the, that first, like, 20 minutes is just amazing. Well, that's what sold me on it. I'm like, right <laughs> out of the box, it was
0: just, like, non-stop, you know? And I like, yeah. I like this, the you know, fast zombie thing. it's kind of
1: cool. Yeah, it was good. See, so I always had a theory, why didn't somebody explain it, like, the fast zombie, because they're freshly turned and all that. Like, people always like, oh, if you get, if you're a zombie, it'd be all rigor mortis and this and that. And like, yeah, but it's it's a fantasy anyway, but I thought they should explain, like, if it's a zombie coming out of the grave, like in, you know, Return of the Living Dead style, yeah, they should walk slow. But if you're a person that's just changed, it should be able to, you know, run fast and do whatever. You know, it's funny.
0: There's a, a series of zombie novels that came out a while ago. There's, like, three of them. Um, damn, once again, the guy's name is named Z.A. Wrecked, who wrote it. Uh-huh. That's basically his explanation is oh, okay. the guys who are you know the zombies that are turned that are just freshly turned are fast and the ones that have been around for a while they are decaying or slow so not yeah I
1: that's, that's, yeah, see that's do you know what the name of the books are or? just give me one second I'll tell you in a minute <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, here we go. Okay, Survivors, play. There's. Alright. There's three books. One of them, uh, uh, let's see, one of them's called Plague of the Dead, uh, Thunder and Ashes, and the last one is called Survivors. It's called cool. uh, The Morning Star Strain Trilogy. Oh, okay, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. I mean, it's probably. Uh, the guy who wrote it actually died like unexpectedly somehow, and um, oh, wow. but, you know there was a lot of information about that. But uh, yeah, apparently he was like a like a Desert Storm vet or something, and he started writing this like horror fiction. And uh, these are the three books that he wrote, so they're they're pretty good, you know. Cool. But uh, but anyway, Lou, thanks for uh, taking the time out on a Sunday, and uh, Ah, no problem, man. You know, man, it'd be a lot of a lot of fun. It was cool.
1: Yeah. I really wish Mike and them still had the store. I'd still drive there. That was, like, my favorite thing to do because you get to hang out and talk about comics and music every week, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to look
0: forward to those, the Wednesdays, man, because it was always, like, the day the books came out. Yeah. I would seriously, I would I would be there until, clo- till, like, closed, man. I'd up like, around 6.30 <laughs> and be there till like, 9.
1: Uh, yeah, it was a fun spot, man. Have you spoke to John lately? I mean, I only speak to him through Facebook, you know? Yeah, John, um, I, he moved. And, yeah, up uh, to Albany, right? Yeah, so just uh, just Facebook
0: stuff. Like, I haven't really, uh, you know, we haven't really talked, like, you know, in person or, you know, texting or anything like that. Just stuff on Facebook, you know. But uh, but I see Mike regularly. You know, we're in touch. Oh, yeah. You know, Mike's always around. You know, it's good <laughs> to see him. And, uh, you know, we do that podcast together, Necromaniacs. And that's, yeah. you know, like, every six weeks or so we're trying to do it you know actually there's uh, a movie that I just found out about it's a horror film called uh, Lord of Tears it's like some Scottish like it looks fucking awesome man and um it's it's not available on uh DVD or anything yet or streaming and I couldn't find it anywhere but I saw the trailer and I read about it and uh, I think uh, I think if we can get a copy of it somehow, we might talk about that in the next episode. I'm got. going to look for it see what it's uh... Yeah, I posted a trailer for <coughs> Necromaniac's uh, Facebook page.
1: So, oh, cool. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh... Hey, what did you think of It Follows? Because me and my wife watched it and we were just like, Wow. Yeah, I was into it, man. I thought it was cool.
0: And that and that's like a really interesting thing to mention because with all these uh remakes of, you know, American like horror films just remaking shit from the past, to have a movie like It Follows come out, which is like a really original idea. Like I think that, that people need to be more on into that thing. Exactly, yeah. You know, 'cause that I was like, this is a really creepy interesting storyline,
1: it had a great score, like, the whole package I thought was cool. You know? Yeah. A lot of people talk about the soundtrack and I, I to be honest with you, I knew it was, I was aware of it, but I, I didn't, like, really, I can't remember how it went any of the the background music because I was just so into the concept in the movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was like
0: that, um, it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it's trendy, but it's sort of like uh, the thing to do now is to have these like 80s throwback electronic uh, soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. But it was done really well. And um, the guy who uh, composed it is a Staten Island guy who was on Staten Island. Yeah, I, I read that in one of the posts on the yeah on Facebook. And um, I actually I bought the soundtrack from his Bandcamp page, and it's been pretty oh, cool. That's cool. You know, I'm like into that kind of like I have like a ton of soundtracks and
1: <laughs> like I, I like sound. I used to buy a lot of them too, but uh, you know, I, I was really pissed. I was supposed to go see uh, what's his name, the guy who did the Good the Bad and the Ugly. He oh, was yeah. gonna. He was on tour, and we we had uh, the guy from Rocks Off, Jake promise. He goes, I got tickets for you and me. We're oh, going to go. And then he canceled because he was sick. Oh, yeah. En- so en- I never got this. Cause the, what's the name? Enrico, whatever. En- he en- canceled.
0: Ennio E-O-Mura- en- Morricone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then when I was in Europe, I get a text from uh, Jake. He's like, hey, I'm seeing the whole, uh, I'm seeing it in London tonight. <laughs> I was like, you suck.
0: <laughs> we, um, like earlier this year on that, uh, we played Roadburn um, in the spring in the, that festival in, uh, in Holland. And the same day that we played, uh, Claudio Simonetti's Goblin played. Oh yeah. And, uh, they did, uh, you know, the, the score for, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yep. And, you know, I only, I only had a chance to watch half of their set. Um, but it was, it was pretty fucking cool to like be in this big room with a huge sound system and how the, the, they projected the movie behind them while they did their the set. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was just really cool. And then, you know, backstage, I saw Claudio Simonetti, and I was like, I should go up and get a picture with this guy. You know what I mean? But, like, I get intimidated, man. I get, like... Like, guys like that, you know, like, there are certain certain people that just, I'm like, man, I can't talk to this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I know what you're saying, yeah. He probably thinks so, I'm like a janitor or something like that. <laughs> I, like, I, like, fix the pipes or something here, you know, I need to mop up or something like that, you know.
1: <laughs> and it's weird, like, most of the people like that, you meet them, they're cool as hell, but there's just got to, you know, you can run into one guy who's a dick, you know. Yeah. The guys who are dicks are usually like the lower level dudes.
0: You know what I mean? It's kind of yeah. that's how that works out. Like they're just getting a taste of success, and they're like, "I'm so." <laughs> yeah. You know what's really cool is um, is uh, tricky that the the fucking uh the guy from Massive Attack. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Like uh, a long time ago, we played around south in South by Southwest around, like it wasn't a South by show, but it was it was actually in San Antonio, and it was um you know, getting to the South By thing, we ended up playing a show with Tricky, and uh, it was, it was. don't ask me how that happened, but it was like this weird <laughs> bill of like us and Tricky, and uh, I think Pelican, I think, was on that show too, and wow. it was at some massive um, you know, venue in San Antonio, and I remember pulling up, and there was like this big tour bus and like, you know, this fucking, you know, crew, and I like, was like some rock stars here, man, and he was sound checking and it was like the most massive thing I'd ever heard. You know, like this, everything was like perfect. The synths, the drums, the bass, the backup singers. He had like all these like backup singers and um, he's like out in the parking lot like shadow boxing. He's got like Jeez. a pair of sweatpants on, like no shirt. He's like, huh. sh- like shredded, you know? <laughs> and like, I'm like, that's fucking tricky, man. You know, like, and coolest guy, man. Just like the fucking invited us onto the bus and like just you know real like you know it's like supportive and shit oh that's great you know do
1: you think you never know how people are gonna be yeah it was funny he had a a backup or a singer that he featured once uh martica or something like that yeah back in the i think it was in the 90s and uh i remember we were in england and i had these friends and she was my friend Martika. And she sings with Tricky. They're like, oh, cool. We're talking, and she goes like, she's like, yeah. You, you probably think I don't know anything. She goes, yeah. Well, I spent, you know, three years in New York. I seen Murphy's Law. I went to Leeway shows, and she starts naming hardcore bands. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so it was cool. Apparently, um, the guys
0: from, uh, well, actually, the guy, the guy that passed away from Devil's Blood, the guitar player, um,
1: he is a huge uh, New York hardcore fan as well it surprised us sometimes because we were uh doing that what's that festival well we've done brutal assault and there was another one in poland where it's mostly a death metal festival and uh we've done and i remember one time it was us and the the band waltzer jericho from uh wherever the hell they're from i don't remember but we were hanging out in the uh in the cantina area and behemoth was like one of the headliners and the guys from behemoth come walking in and they all have our at the time uh our latest cd uh death to tyrants and they ask us to sign them and we were just like you guys are fucking headlining this whole thing and they were like you guys came you know and played you know our town when no other hardcore band did You're, you're the only hardcore band we like and we were like holy shit this is great And same thing with the guys from Immortal. We signed their CDs. They had us sign CDs for them, too. It was fucking cool, you know? (laughs) Yeah, well, you you know, Sigurdall in general, (laughs) crossed over a lot, man, like, more so than than a lot of other hardcore bands. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're lucky. We, We hit Europe at the right time. I mean, Gorilla Biscuits AF and Youth of Today had all been through Europe, like a year before us, and then it was nothing, and then all of a sudden, we came, and we kind of reaped the benefits of it. People probably went around saying, like, man, you should have saw AF, you should have saw this, and it just exploded. We were lucky, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, once again, man, thanks. Um, You know, I think we had a good episode. Yeah. And uh, this will be up tomorrow. Cool, man. Yeah, send me
1: a link. I'll put it up on our stuff. Appreciate it. All right, Lou. Have a good day, man. You too. See you. Take care.